0: It's time now for the Complete Story with Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Dick Bott with today's Complete Story. You
1: know, Rich, it's been my experience that when something really horrendous happens that the media just cannot ignore, why they'll have a story about it for a little while, and then they will bury it. Then you won't hear any more about it. That's kind of the way it is, especially the stories dealing with life versus death, uh, where it involves little unborn human beings. Isn't that true?
0: Well, yes, and we are excited to celebrate those that do take a courageous stand to expose the truth.
1: Well, we are going to talk. Listen, folks, you would not want to want, want to miss one word of this, because Rich and I were at a conference in um, Was it in Washington or where was it, Rich? And we saw a film that was screened at that conference. And it was about a subject, about a story that we had known about, but without seeing the, the film itself in, in its stark reality. Why, it just really, now listen, world-renowned filmmaker Anne McElhaney and uh, what is, how does he pronounce his, his first name, Rich? Philem. Philem McAteer. Had That's been right, ex- Philem McAleer. That's right, have been exposing stories the media refused to cover for years. Their biggest project yet is to unveil the full story behind Kermit Gosnell. G-O-S-N-E-L-L. Now, folks, do you remember that name? He was the Philadelphia abortionist. Who, tried, who was tried in court for the mass murder of women, children, and he was convicted in 1913. Gosnell, the untold story of America's most prolific serial killer. Isn't it amazing? You said
0: 1913. It, I think you meant 2013.
1: Oh, 2000, yes, 2013. Is, isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that he was the world's most prolific serial killer, and yet the media has never designated that in the mind of the public. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, so for more than 30 years, he got away with that in Philadelphia, murdering hundreds, if not thousands of people during uh, that time. So, uh, Rich, tell us now about our guest.
0: Well, our guest, uh, as you said, is Anne McElhaney, and uh, we are delighted to have her with us. She has written for and is a regular contributor to an array of international media organizations, including CNN, Fox News, ABC, the BBC, and Australia and Ireland, and, and on and on and on. She's been on the Hugh Hewitt Show, the Dennis Miller Show, the Dennis Prager Show, and a very, very, very credible journalist, and uh, they are reporting on this, and we have some exciting news to tell our listeners. Wait a
1: minute now, Anne. before you say a word, I want to establish the fact that you are an honest reporter, an honest gatherer of the facts, whatever the story may be. So tell us how you got involved in this, because typically, traditionally, this is not something you specialize
2: in. That's absolutely right, and I had no interest in this subject at all before we came across, very accidentally came across this story. Um, we, we made a film, a lot of your listeners might know, we made a film about fracking called Frack Nation, and we, my husband was touring around Pennsylvania showing that film to different audiences. I need a few days off, and you know, my mother used to talk about the hand of God, and here's watch, watch out how the hand of God worked here So Phelan is in Philadelphia, has a couple of days off, and unlike a lot of people who have time off, journalists are always looking for a story. And he heard about a local crime story that was being tried in the court in Philadelphia at the time. He went down to that courtroom, and he walked in. And here's the first thing that struck him. The courtroom was empty, pretty much empty. There were two Mennonite women at the back, knitting, And then there was the jury. There was Kermit Gosnell sitting there. The trial was ongoing. And in front of the jury, they were projecting the photographs of the victims of the 47 children's bodies that had been found on the clinic the night of the raid. And they're showing those to the jury. And they have people giving evidence to the jury. And my husband, who has covered the war in Northern Ireland, he has covered crime for the British Sunday Times. He's been out and about and has heard a lot of things and seen a lot of things in his life. He said it was the worst photo, the worst photographs he'd ever seen, and the worst stories he'd ever heard. And what he said most shocked him was that no journalists were there. The only journalists that ever appeared in that court really, at, at that time were the local journalists, a few local journalists. But they had a whole section of the court, a very large section of courtroom, cordoned off for the media to come, and they'd chosen a large courtroom because they expected a huge number of media for this sensational story, this shocking, horrific story, and no one turned up. And he thought to himself, you know, what is the job of a journalist? And here's what the job of a journalist is, is to report the news, whether you like it or not. And it is to turn up and be a voice and a witness for those who cannot witness for themselves, who cannot speak for themselves, And if you ever wanted to find a more vulnerable, more voiceless uh, victim than those children, than those babies i i I wish you well finding more vulnerable people and more voiceless
1: victims. so at that at that moment at that moment, it was so stark with him what he was seeing in the courtroom and the evidence that was being presented, and the total absence of the media that is supposed to report a story to the public
2: yes. And he, I mean, you know, he, he came back to Los Angeles. I, I, we live in Los Angeles, and our business partner, Magdalena Seguila, were, you know, two women, uh, you know, uh, smart, we think very smart, very connected with the world, read a lot and look at a lot of television. And we, he said, we, this is what we have to do now. We've never done anything like this before. We did a lot of documentaries about the environment and he said, this is what we should do now. And we both said, no, we've, we don't want anything to do with abortion. We would describe ourselves, both Magda and myself would describe ourselves as being neutral on abortion. And just to translate that for your listeners, that means pro-abortion. And so he said to us, do me one favor. Just read the court transcripts. Read these court transcripts. And we read the court transcripts, and that changed us. That well, changed us, because we discovered he, that we didn't that know... Moment anything about this at
1: and that we'll moment if I important. could interject here for just a second why he was like many 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 typical Baptists typical Catholics typical Lutheran's typical church people who really are kind of neutral and they don't want to really think about it
2: yeah yes absolutely absolutely but what happens is and I think this is what's important about this story is this story is not a story told by pro-life activists This is not a story told by religious people or, you know, this is journalism. And the book, uh, you know, came out. The book came out. People can buy the book at Gosnellbook.com. The book came out January 24th. It went immediately to number three on the most sold books across America. And it stayed in that place for a week. It's on the New York Times bestseller list. I mean, people actually realize that they want to know the truth. And I have had people write to me who have read the book who are exactly what you described, neutral on abortion, don't really want to know, and they said they have changed their mind. They are no longer those people. They have become activated by what they've read.
1: Well, tell me this. Tell me this. They could say, well, I'm personally pro-life, and I have my babies, I have my children, we have our family, and so on and so forth, but I'm not going to get all exercised about some other child whose life I don't really want to give a thought.
2: Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure I know those people. I actually do think, I mean, I think when you look at people across America, people that care, they, they have YouTube videos they send of, of puppies and of bears and of little animals doing things, and they're very exercised by that, and people are very emotional about that. I think the only reason they don't think about those children is because they haven't really met them. And you will meet those children in this book. You will hear the story of baby boy A. The little boy who was born shares a a birthday. Watch this. Watch out for this for coincidence. Shares a birthday with my own father. The 12th of July was born and died in 2008 and who struggled for life, who was thrown into a showbox, who pulled his little arms and legs together. And he had such an impact on the workers. And these are the hardened workers, by the way, in that clinic. These are hard hearted people who were laughing as they killed these babies. Two of them took a photograph of that baby because he had such an impact on them. And that baby's photograph sealed the fate of Kermit Gosnell. And I interviewed one of those women, and I have it in the book. And I asked her, you know, what, well, what happened to you? And she, and she said she never got rid of the phone. She took a photograph and she kept it. And when the police came to arrest her, because she had also killed babies, she said to them she was relieved. And she said, please, take, take this phone. There's a photograph there. Now I am free. I am free.
1: Is, is there, I would suppose, wait a minute now, you see, I, I would suppose uh, that there was plenty of opportunity for the authorities, the mayor of that city. How did Gosnell get away with this so long?
2: That is a brilliant question, and it's, and it's super, super depressing. So he got away with this for so long because among those who believe in abortion, it's like a sacrament to them. And so during for 17 years, and here's even more depressing, Governor Tom Ridge, a Republican, a Catholic, became the governor of Pennsylvania in 1995, running on a pro-choice ticket. And he made a point. He said, hands off those abortion clinics because he said that for 17 years, that's one seven. No one from the Department of Health, the Department of State. Crossed the threshold to check out what was going on at Gosnell's clinic. During that time, two women died. Samika Shaw died in 2000, a young African American woman, and in 2009, Karnamaya Monger died, a Bhutanese refugee who had spent 20 years in Nepal in a refugee camp, only to come to America and be dead four months later. And guess what? The response of the Department of Health in Harrisburg was to that they didn't get in their cars to inspect. Lots of your listeners across the country have, know that they run little restaurants, maybe a little bar, maybe they're trying to, you know, sell food somewhere or the children doing a lemonade stand. And the health department come and close them down because of the fear of health or whatever. These health departments don't care at all about health and they don't care about women, vulnerable women, and they don't care about children. Oh, but because they care. But, 17 years, they didn't infect.
1: They care about politics, and they care about the people who donate money to their political campaign. They care about that, which is another way of saying they care about themselves.
2: Yes, mm-hmm. yes, it's very depressing. And I, it's one of the things in the book that we're very proud of, because we name and shame those people, including Governor Ridge, who has become very silent on this issue and he's, you know, as a Catholic, I'm a Catholic myself, you know, it's an interesting position to hold, you know, that you, let, you leave that piece of doctrine out of, your, out of your life, you know, because it's convenient, because you'd like to be the governor of Pennsylvania.
0: Now, this, uh, this book is titled Gosnell, that's G-O-S-N-E-L-L, Gosnell, the Untold Story of America's Most Prolific Serial Killer, and it's being made into a film and from what I understand, initially the, the film was uh, crowdfunded. People from all over the country donated money to help it get started. How, how is the funding coming, and, and what is the time frame for its release?
2: Yeah, that's a, thank you very much for asking me about that, Richard. I mean, so basically we crowdfunded this film It's Gosnell, and people can find it at GosnellMovie.com. It's very simple, GosnellMovie.com. And two point, so, so far, 29,000 people have donated $2.3 million. The film is completed. The film is completed, and it's very, very good. And I know both of you gentlemen have seen the movie and can tell, can tell your audience what you think of it. And here's what's happened to it. You'll be so shocked. We showed it to every large distributor in Hollywood. I mean every last large distributor. And unlike a lot of movies, independent movies, we have the fact that 29,000 people paid for this. We have the fact that the audience who've seen it, about 300 people so far across the country have seen it, have said the film, rates off the charts. People say it's life-changing. People weep after they come out of the movie. People say it's a brilliant film, really well produced. The music is beautiful. But we got rejected by every distributor in Hollywood, and none of them, not one of them, said the film was bad. Not one of them said that. Every last one of them said it was too controversial for them. These are the same people, guys, who have distributed a film called Obvious Child, which is a romantic comedy about abortion, They distributed a film with Lily Tomlin in it for she is a grandmother collecting money on a road trip for her granddaughter's abortion. So don't tell me these people don't like controversy. They love controversy. You know what they hate? They hate truth. So what we have to do now is we have to independently distribute this film, which means we have to raise a lot of money. So if anyone is listening there who has a lot of money, this is an investment. We are looking for investors to get this film to the next stage because really this film needs to be in theaters across the country and we're working with John Sullivan. A lot of your listeners know who John Sullivan is, who helped Denise D'Souza get his big movies. You know, they made thirty-three million million, one One of them, in the box office. So this film needs to be seen across the country. It's a life changer, a game changer. It really is. i couldn't be a better time to watch it.
1: Well, when Rich and I saw the screener, I mean, uh, and it was at this conference, and uh, and the screen was big. But, you know, you're sitting there. And these chairs weren't very comfortable or anything, but it was something that the people just were riveted to their chairs. It was just soul-searching. It absolutely touched deeply the heart of everybody who saw it because it was so real and so stark. There was no pageantry. By that, I mean it wasn't a movie that was written— and, uh, and so on and so forth. To make a point, you had the facts and you had the evidence, and the courtroom drama was just exactly as it was presented, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, and it's incredible. I mean, one of the things about the trial transcripts, so well, obviously I've gone through all the trial transcripts to write the book and to work on the screenplay as well. And one part of the screenplay that I think is what maybe what you're getting to is in order for the jury in this case to understand how to convict this man, this Kermit Gosnell, you know, of what he did, because he, he went to jail for murder, for bringing the babies. He, he, he induced these women to give birth to these babies. The babies were born alive, and then he cut their necks with scissors. So they needed the jury to understand the difference between that and a legal abortion. And so they had two abortion doctors who took the stand. And we have this in the movie. We obviously have this in great detail in the book. And what they said and what they testified to as a legal good abortion, a good legal abortion in the United States, is deeply disturbing and deeply shocking. And I think here's what I think is useful for your listeners. Those of them are out there fighting the good fight, trying to explain what, you know, what is wrong with this process. This book gives evidence from a trial. The people who describe abortion are in favor of it. So the people taking the stand, these abortion doctors, they believe in what they're doing, and they describe it. And so if anyone's looking for a description of abortion, it's a great place to go, not to a pro-life activist, but to an actual doctor who believes that what he is doing is good. And here's what the jury felt. They felt they couldn't really distinguish much between what he did, which was called murder, and what is perfectly legal, a few inches in a different direction, inside the womb.
1: Because the 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 net result is the same.
2: Yes. Absolutely. It's like their and here go on.
0: It's like their conscience is seared. And what's what's extremely compelling in this movie is that the the dialogue tracks the actual court transcript of the of the proceeding.
2: Yes. Yeah, we were very we thought that was a really important thing. Because of course people are going to say, Oh, that never happened, that never happened. Well I'm sorry, in this case they can't say that. Because the the screenplay is based on transcripts from the trial from the grand jury, from witness testimony, from the assistant district attorney, from the police officers who did the raid. You know, it's unimpeachable evidence. But I want to just mention the most unimpeachable evidence of all that exists, actually, that I have come across is the photographs of the 47 children. And I can tell you, I used to always dismiss pro-life activists' photographs. I used to think that they had been doctored or manipulated or edited. So I've seen those photographs, and I'm not the same person since. Because the humanity in each of those photographs, the the, the humanity in the children, they have facial expressions. It's the most powerful statement about abortion, I think, could ever be made. And the idea in this country that you can abort a baby at nine months, I think very few people know that. And I I think it's a great job that Planned Parenthood have done in making sure people don't know about Mm. that. But people do need to know about that. They They do need to know that it goes on and they need to know what goes on in their own state, in the state of Kansas, for example, in the state of Colorado, in New Mexico, here in California... You know, people need to know that people are having these extremely late-term abortions and that they're aborting real people who the world will now never know.
0: In the same sense that the people of Germany following World War II needed to be shown what actually happened there in Auschwitz and those other death camps, people need to know what's happening. They need to be confronted with truth so that they can respond accordingly. Now, have you ever had a chance to actually visit with Kermit Gosnell in prison?
2: Yes, yes. I have, I've spent an afternoon with him in prison, and we write a whole chapter on that called Meeting the Monster. Um, and he was as chilling, as exactly as chilling as your listeners could probably imagine. So, you know, I think it would be very comforting in this life if we knew, if, if when we went into a room or one, get on a bus, we could spot a bad person, we could spot an evil person, that they would have a massive scar down their face, that they would walk strangely. They don't, they walk amongst us. Gosnell looks like a regular guy. He's a 72-year-old African-American. He's very soft-spoken. He smiles all the time, very social. And then he speaks and with this very soft voice. And he is appalling and diabolical and... Uh, It was very, very chilling, and he had an answer for everything. And he was a normal person in prison facing three life terms. You can imagine how depressed and despondent you'd be. He is sitting there very cheerful, disappointed he didn't get into the poetry class. He talks about the size of his hands all the time. And, of course, I'm looking at those hands, knowing what those hands have wrought in this world. Um, He sang to me in French a love song at one point. Very disturbing. Was kind of dis- also did, started talking, kind of trying to be disgusting about women's issues. And I thought he did it. My husband was with me, and I thought he's doing this intentionally to make my husband, you know, embarrassed. He pushed his chair, and I thought we'd be behind a plexiglass, were to be on a telephone. He pushed his, his chair right in against me and pinned me up basically against the wall. And then every every call, so often, as he spoke, he would rest his hand on my leg. In a, and I knew, he was do, I knew he was manipulative. He would ex- immediately apologize, but then do it again. And I thought, this is an extraordinary, it's very disturbing. He is a very disturbing person to meet, and I was glad to leave there. But he writes to us. He writes us letters all the time. He telephones us all the time. And at the back of the book, we have two pages reproduced of his actual letters to us, mm. one in which he has actual scripture passages that he say justifies what he does. That's how disturbed and disturbing he is.
0: So for our listeners that want to get in touch with you to help fund the distribution and and the release of this uh, expose for the public, how can they uh, support the work?
2: That is so kind. They can go to gosnellmovie.com, and they can go to gosnellbook.com and buy the book. But go to gosnellmovie.com, give a dollar, give whatever you can. Show up and be a witness to the story. We have twenty nine thousand people so far. It shouldn't be twenty nine thousand. It should be five hundred thousand people should be there with one dollar. You know, well, telling people that this is when they can. They done. can.
1: When you Learn consider about when you consider the size of the United States, why for heaven's sake, this should be absolutely a done deal. The the spelling is G O S N E L L. That's very That's right, important. Well, no. uh, this I, book. I so appreciate that. This book and this movie is just—and the thing is, it is the court transcripts that were used in the absolute conviction of this hideous person when the authorities could no longer ignore the obvious because it was so—they um, um, couldn't cover it up anymore. And, and but But the deed, the act— in the murdering of these children so blatantly, tell me this, by the absence of anyone's interest in this,
2: did he then get bolder and bolder and bolder? That's, you, are so, you are totally spot on. That's exactly what happened. He got worse and worse as time went on because it, it seemed to him, and by the way, he was right. He could do anything. He could do anything, and the authorities never turned up. I mean, the idea that a woman would die and the authorities wouldn't bother to check out what had happened to her, a young African-American woman. You know, black lives do matter, but not in this case they didn't matter. No one showed up. No one in Harrisburg thought it was worth finding out what had happened to Samika Shaw. Case closed. Let's move on. Whatever we do, let's not get interfere with Dr. Gosnell doing his horrific, horrific work. And we have in the book, we have the scenes, you know, described by people like Steve Masoff one of the other people who worked there. And I have to tell you, for me reading about Steve Masop, he took the stand. Gosnell never took the stand in his own defense. In fact, the defense called no witnesses. But Steve Masop was called by the prosecution. He was a guy from a nice home in Pennsylvania. He's, He's serving a very, very lengthy prison term now. But his description, under oath, under pain of perjury, you know, he said, I ran with scissors. I was a fireman in hell. And he talked about blood running down the walls. And I have to tell you guys that when I read that and when I read his testimony, I became frightened. I'm like working at my computer, you know, typing at my computer. And I actually became frightened and Mm -hmm. I knelt down beside the computer and said the Our Father because I didn't actually know what else to do. Because I found it so scary, not alone that there was one man. Gosnell doing this, but the big mess up was doing it, and all the other workers were doing it, and they were laughing while they were doing it. So they were joking around and having a good time.
0: So Ann McElhenney, our our guest today, if if he was able to get away with this for so long, Gosnell, who was responsible for finally bringing him to justice.
2: Oh, it's such a wonderful story. I'm really glad you asked me. So the first chapter of the book is about Detective Jim Wood, a Catholic. He's from a family of twelve. His, um, his auntie has a family of 13. Um, he's had a lot of tragedy in his life himself. He's just a really good guy. And he was an undercover narcotics officer. You know, a lot of your listeners probably know that in some parts of the country, there's the doctors that sell prescriptions for oxycodone, which if you mix it with cough syrup, is kind of like a, a heroin and it's a big, big problem in Pennsylvania and many other parts of the country. So this Jim Wood, this detective Jim Wood, is pursuing this case, is, you know, watching out for who's selling these drugs. And he, you know, he's doing undercover work, and he's finding confidential informants. And basically, he eventually has an interview with a woman. And I, I've heard the tape where he says, well, where can I meet the doctor, the doctor where you get the scripts? And she says, and she spells the name. His name is Gosnell, G-O-S-N-E-L-L. And so Jim pursues this. He takes one of the workers from the clinic and kind of interrogates her. And during the interrogation, she says, well, you know, that one woman died. And she starts to talk about the death of the Bhutanese refugee. And Jim becomes obsessed with the death of this Bhutanese refugee who is dead and buried. And no one cares. And nothing has ever happened. And no investigation has been done. He looks it up and there is no police report into her death. And he... It's the first quote in the book, and I'm so happy with it. Christine Wexler, the assistant district attorney, described Jim Wood. She said there would be no case without him. This case wouldn't exist without Jim Wood. He was Karnamaya Monger's champion. He was the only one. And he was a guy who not only did his own job, which was this narcotics, undercover narcotics operation, but he went on and did the work of the homicide department in Pennsylvania. And when it came to the arrest of all the people involved in killing these children, He put the cuffs on everyone because there was a sense that this is the guy, this is the man who needs to be getting the credit because he's the guy who did it. And he is a wonderful man. And we have him as the star of the movie, played by Dean Cain, and he would do anyone good. Because for me, in the middle of doing this story, meeting all these horrible characters, these terrible people, to meet Jim Wood would do your heart good.
0: It's about the difference one good man can make.
1: Well, yes, that's for sure. Now, this is the story, folks, about Kermit Gosnell. He would say Dr. Kermit Gosnell, but he got away with this increasingly for over 30 years. Can you imagine that in America where you had governors both— uh, Democrat and Republican, and you had mayors of the city, and you had the council of this, and you had the board of that, on and on and on. But the word abortion is, uh, is politically protected in America. Uh, and, and America, I think, is starting to wake up to the fact, what on earth is going on? And this movie is so stark with the evidence, using it as one example— as one example that cannot be denied and now gosnell is in prison uh, for what he did but i wonder how many other people should be imprisoned for encouraging him for allowing him for using his money to get them elected and on and on and on it is not just one person it is a fabric is that not true oh yeah
2: i mean you're, you're that's a perfect description i mean it's 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 for me, as I said, what I find really disturbing, it, it's almost okay in your head somehow to get your head around the idea of one bad person being really bad and doing bad things. But the layer upon layer of people who enabled Gosnell, it's outrageous in hospitals, at, in Harrisburg, the Department of Health, the Department of Sanitation, the Department of State, lawyers, all kinds of people who should know better, who did nothing. And then on top of that... How about the, preachers? How, how, how
1: about the and, preachers? how about the preachers? How about the preachers?
2: I, you know, I can't say anything about the preachers because I don't know any preacher that really knew and didn't do anything. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to say that because it's not something that I know. I don't know that for yeah. a fact. I do know that the media were extraordinary. When they discovered this story, they decided, they literally decided not to report on it. And I have quotes from them in the book. I have quotes from, from journalists in the book yeah. who say we'd never do anything. We'd never do anything that would come in the way of Roe v. Wade. All right, give I mean, us- they actually admit that.
1: We're running out of time here. Give us the address really quick, and then we got to get out of here.
2: Thank you so much. So people can go to gosnellmovie.com and give us a dollar, and people go to gosnellbook.com and buy a copy of the book, and read the book in public, and have people ask you what it's about, and buy a copy for a friend who hasn't yet worked out what abortion is.
1: Yeah, God bless you, God bless you and your husband. This is Dick Bott with his chapter of The Complete Story as a public service, and I'll see you later.